0: And I'll tell you what else. If you know Christ as your Savior, if you're born again, you are a child of God Almighty, the same God that spoke the world into being, you're his kid. All of us here, we've experienced a few Christmases, I think, and some maybe more than others. But uh, is there any that stand out in your mind? Maybe you uh, had a very uh, precious time with family, perhaps, one particular year. (laughs) Or maybe you got that little red wagon you were hoping for. (laughs) But uh, is there a Christmas that stands out in your mind? You know that the world looks upon Christmas and removes Christ out of Christmas. You know that. And to them, it's a time for family and partying and for office get togethers and partying, and for gift giving and partying, and that 's the world around us, uh, but where is Jesus? We have so much in Jesus, you know sometimes uh, maybe you've thought this too um, but I sometimes wish we could get rid of some of the uh, the i don't know the tinsel town part of Christmas and get back to the the, the real essence of, of Christmas, and that's the Lord Jesus. He came. That's why we have Christmas, and we celebrate his birth. And you know something? You If you haven't already, you will run into some people that will argue from Christmas to New Year's. They'll argue why Jesus was not born on December 25th. Because you have to understand, they watched a video, they saw two or three YouTubes, they saw someone on the internet that spoke, they read a book, and they've got all of the the arguments as to why Jesus was not born on the 25th. Well, I have a simple answer to that. Who cares? Honestly, who cares? The fact is Jesus came. No, we do not have any definitive proof. Uh, of December 25th, but I have no problem with it. I have no problem with that at all. There are some people who look upon a uh, a Christmas tree and they say, oh, don't you know that's pagan? Don't you know that that's an idol? And in the Old Testament, it talks about dressing up a tree with silver and gold and bowing down to it. Folks, I've experienced 68 Christmases, and I've never ever seen any human being bow down to a Christmas tree. I have never seen it in my life. And by the way, that Old Testament passage is not talking about a Christmas tree. It's talking about taking a a tree, cutting it down and out of the, the wood, out of the trunk, carving an idol and applying silver and gold and bowing down to that. Now, yes, people are still doing that around the world, making carved idols. That's not the Christmas tree. I believe it was Martin Luther who first had the idea of decorating a tree just as some special dressing up of of the home at Christmas. I believe he was the one who did it. And on our little tree there, we have these little candles that are electric. My wife's parents uh, grew up with uh, real candles on a christmas tree that's what they would do now unfortunately there have been whole houses burned to cinders because you know the tree you know fell over or somehow it caught fire so it's not very safe but uh, these ones these little guys here are battery operated and so it's just very pretty to look at how do you like the window too looks like it's snowing outside and this was part of our decoration from last Sunday night. We had our old-fashioned Christmas program We had a choir up here, and we had uh, some singing. Uh, we had a visit from uh, Uncle Scrooge, and he was here uh, voicing his complaints about Christmas and the 25th of December and so on. But I think he changed his tune a little bit there near the end. Christmas should be a special time, whether you decorate your house or not. My wife loves to decorate. Some of you uh, men and ladies like to decorate your home. My wife loves it. She likes to put up the the lights and everything. My, oh my, it's very dangerous putting up those lights, you know, along the, the roof, the eaves and so on. And I'll tell you, I just bite my nails every time I watch my wife up there on the ladder putting up all those lights. She is the uh, decorator in our home, though, and she makes it nice, and I'm so glad she does. And so uh, just imagine maybe the twinkling of uh, the stars, that you're under the stars here tonight. In just a little while, we're going to be uh, turning the lights out, and we're going to be lighting our candles. I hope you have your candle. hope you picked one up on the way in. By the way, those candles are yours to keep. You can take those home if you want. You don't have to, but if you like, just a little... Uh, memento of Christmas. Well, I'd like to tell you a story, if I may. And uh, I've got my little friend here. There we go. So we might... uh... There we are. Maybe we can dim some lights here so that uh, people can see that a little bit easier. Okay, can you see the screen there okay? Okay. All right, good. Well, we want to tell you a story in the beginning. Maybe you're familiar with this story. Say it with me. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Right there. There are probably billions of people who don't believe that. You know, if you can just get past this very first verse in the Bible, you shouldn't have a problem with any other verse in the Bible. If you can, by faith, believe that what God wrote is true, that in the beginning he honestly actually did create the heaven and the earth. There are people who can't get past that. What they do is they say, well, in the beginning there was this big bang, and out of nothing came everything we have. From nothing came something? Boy, that, I tell you, that takes some faith to believe that. It's far easier to believe that an almighty God created everything that we see here. And so, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And click. I'm going to need some help there, guys. There we go. Everything was beautiful. That's the way God created it. And uh, God's creations are always beautiful. Did you know that you're a creation of God? Did you know that? You know, when you look in the mirror, you may have the devil looking back at you, or at least telling you, oh, you're not so beautiful. Boy, I've seen better. And, uh, um, you know, God made a mistake with you. And the devil uses tricks like that on a lot of us. And a lot of us, we kind of go through life crippled because we tend to believe what the devil says more than what God says. I'll tell you right now, when God looks upon you, he smiles. He sees a work of creation that's beautiful. God thinks you're beautiful. Personally, as a pastor, I agree with God. I think you're beautiful too, especially when you smile. You know, even if you've got no teeth. You know, just a big, toothless grin is great. You know I think you're beautiful. Everything was beautiful when God created, and uh, then God created man. And then we have a problem. There should be a familiar story. Man commits sin. <clears throat> Again, some people tend to think that this is just a fairy tale. Some people think that it didn't happen this way. It's just sort of representative. It's just kind of an Aesop's fable or some old wives' tale or just something, you know, made up, almost like a an old story, a parable. But it didn't really happen that way. Folks, I believe it really happened that way. Exactly the way God says in the Bible. And God created the heaven and the earth. Everything was gorgeous, beautiful. God created man and and woman, Adam and Eve. And then The problems happen. They themselves were fine, but it's our enemy, Satan. And Satan took advantage of their innocence. And Satan found a way in there. And isn't that just like what the devil is doing today? In our lives, in in your life, in my life, the devil will try and look for weaknesses and areas that he can get in and cause trouble. Trouble, trouble, trouble. So man ends up committing sin and of course, uh, a terrible thing happened. Man got separated from God because of that sin. And so, what God did was, He promised a Savior. And here we have the very first promise of the Savior. Uh, in the Bible, maybe you're aware of this, but when you start in Genesis and you keep reading all the way through the Old Testament, 39 books in the Old Testament, and then you start in on Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, and you work your way through the Gospels and the Epistles and so on, right to Revelation, there's 27 books in the New Testament, 66 books altogether. You come away with the, the feeling that you, you've You've started with a little bit of information, and it's grown and grown and grown. By the time you get to Revelation, uh, you've learned a lot. And we have this when it comes to the Savior. God tells us a little bit, and it begins here in chapter 3, verse 15, where the promise was that the Savior was going to uh, bruise the head of the serpent. The serpent here, of course, was what Satan entered into, and a bruise to the head would be a deadly wound. And then, of course, the serpent was going to bruise the Savior's heel. That happened on the cross. That was not a, de- not a uh, such a deadly wound. Do you understand? You see the difference? And so this is the promise of God was a coming Savior. And then there was uh, another thing that was revealed to us. Because in the midst of the garden there was a, a tree of life. And uh, God knew that if man went and ate that tree, and he just might have, then he would remain in an unsavable condition. And so God, in his mercy and his love, he put Adam and Eve out of the garden. It was for their sake. God wasn't trying to be nasty and uh, unruly. He was trying to be loving. And God does that with us too. Sometimes God closes doors. And we wonder at the time, well, why didn't I get that job? I was perfect for it. Why didn't I get that job? Or maybe uh, all of a sudden, you know, at the light, your car dies. it oh no, come on, uh, why now? Why'd my car die? And it's only later that you find out that the company Uh, that you were applying for turns out to be illegitimate or a scam and dozens or hundreds of people were hurt financially but you were spared because God closed the door and you didn't get the job. Now, it happened to my wife and I a couple of times this year where we were at the set of lights and the light turns green and my wife happened to be driving, and for some reason, she was just a little bit slow on the accelerator, and <clears throat> here's her patient husband in the next seat. Come on, honey. It's green. Well, all of a sudden, this van came through. Uh, it went through on a red light. For us, it was green. came through, and it smashed into a car, and a guy on a motorcycle went flying, And uh, we thought, that could have been us. We could have got T-boned. See, God knows what he's doing when he closes some doors. So it's very important that we remember that. The next time you have a disappointment, you know, or I tell you what, it can even extend to things like uh, accident, sickness, or disease. Like, let's not be quick to get mad at God. God knows what he's doing. He makes us a promise, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. God may have a special Christmas gift in mind for you, but it may come wrapped in a little bit of trouble or a little bit of sadness, and yet it's going to turn out to be a wonderful Christmas gift for you. Wasn't that a sad day when Jesus was nailed to the cross? Oh, oh, wow. That's the worst day in all Earth's history, is when Jesus was nailed to the cross. But on the third day later, he rose from the dead. He's a victorious Savior. He's alive today. Hallelujah. And he's coming back for us one day very soon. So, getting back here to the situation. Nan was put out of the garden. And then, over the years, God started to, uh, to give us more indication about the Savior who was going to deal with our sin. And so uh, God raised up uh, men who were called prophets. And these ones would prophesy and speak on behalf of God. And they told us how the Savior would come. And uh, as you can see here in Isaiah 7.14, it says, A virgin shall conceive. And that's what happened when Mary, all of a sudden, was found to be pregnant. She had not been with another man. She was engaged to a man named Joseph, a fine man. They both loved the Lord. And this was a scandal, a scandal in town. But God came to Joseph and uh, told him not to worry to take Mary anyhow, all this was all part of God's plan. So how is the Savior going to come? Well he's going to come through a virgin. The virgin is going to conceive and, and bear a son and they were going to call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The prophets also told us where the Savior would first appear. You see Micah 5.2, but thou Bethlehem Ephratah Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me, uh, that is, to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. And so, here we're told where the Savior was to be born. How and where. But not only that, get a load of this. They even told us when the Savior would come. Now in Daniel, this is a very important uh, Prophecy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem, now that's the key there, unto the Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. And so essentially the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, put that slide back here for me please. Uh, thank you. was about 445 B.C. You can see we put it up there. And uh, essentially in 483 years from that point, Messiah came. That puts it at about 30 A.D. You can check that out later. Daniel 9.25. But that is an amazing bit of prophecy. Um, God doesn't leave us in the dark, particularly when it comes to salvation and the Savior. And so we have here an angel who comes and visits a a young lady, and her name is Mary, and I think she was a teenage gal, and I think she was a a godly young lady that loved God. And uh, then we have the angel appearing to Joseph, Hey, don't you like that picture? You know, I see every time I see that, I want to get my crayons and, and finish the picture. Fear not to take unto thee, Mary, thy wife. So God works both sides of the street. That's good to know, husbands and wives. That's good to know. When God is leading you in a certain direction, God will work in the husband's heart and in the wife's heart. And so it's very important that husband and wife communicate God loves marriage, and he works uh, in marriage through husbands and wives. And so now we have this fellow here, a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. The word tax means to evaluate. That's what the word tax means. I remember when I was a boy, I heard a joke about a man that had a, a dog that he called Tax. He called his dog Tax and one day he opened the door and income tax. Now that's a dad joke if you know what those are. A dad joke. Anyhow, I never forgot that. But the word tax means to evaluate. And by the way, we've been uh, we've been we who live in Surrey have been getting evaluated lately. Yeah, apparently the city must like us. Well, Caesar Augustus was considered Uh, by many, to be the most brilliant tax strategist of the entire Roman Empire. And Rome had used government employees to forcibly collect their taxes. Governments love taxes. Have you noticed that? You start messing around with the tax, and you have violated the sacred cow. You are in trouble. So anyhow, the governments, they operate, they need the tax, but they love their taxes. And so what Augustus did, the Caesar here, uh, he came in and changed how they, they did the taxing. He, uh, he changed it to local municipalities, and this was why everyone had to go back to their hometown in order to be taxed. And so we have Mary and Joseph going to Bethlehem. And we find them here in Bethlehem and everywhere they went, sorry, can't help you, uh, wish we could, go away, no vacancy, full up, sorry about that. And um, that's, that's pretty hard to take. Um, I think that most all of the, uh, uh, the places to stay would be like what we would call today a bed and breakfast. People would have an extra room, and people, uh, visitors through town, they would stay there and pay a little bit. And I think it was like a bed and breakfast kind of thing. They didn't have like holiday inns back then, all right? But um, people did have spare rooms. And during this uh, taxing time, uh, wow, wow. uh, the little towns like well, Bethlehem, for example, which only would have had a couple of hundred residents in it, probably swelled up to maybe a thousand people or or perhaps even more. But the place was full. And so finally, there's this one likable guy. And uh, he said to Mary and Joseph, he said, you know, I just might have a place out back. <laughs> for you. And so what they found was a stable, um, a lowly stable, and of course beggars can't be choosers. They gratefully accepted it. By the way, there's a lesson for us too, not to be so high and mighty sometimes, but to accept with gratitude the things uh, that God gives us. I I remember many years ago, decades ago, in our last church, we had a a lady. She was a widow and a um, senior, quite quite senior. And she would be coming to our church services. But she was, I think the term is persnickety. Persnickety. We could never seem to make her happy. She was always a bit of a grouch. Well, we had a Christmas party. And uh, our church was very small. And so, you know, thank the Lord for dollar stores. And we got dollar gifts and things like that. And the few of us that were in the church, we exchanged these things. And we gave her one. And she opened it up. What's that? What am I going to do with that? I don't need it. Give it to somebody else. And that was her her attitude. Ah, you know, it kind of pops the balloon a bit. You know, it takes some of the joy away. Uh, Be thankful for what you get. And if someone gives you something that may be below your expectations, hey, praise the Lord, they thought about you and they gave you something. Be thankful. Mary and Joseph were thankful for what they got. So I want you to see this. This is a typical manger. There it is right there. Now this one is made out of stone, but they were also made out of wood. And they were meant for uh, to be like a feeding trough or box for the cattle to eat out of. And they'd pour the feed or the grain or something in there. Uh, this particular one, as I say, may, have been, may be, have been used for water. Now that's an actual manger you're looking at. I searched the world over through the internet. I surfed and found... This, I don't think it was somewhere in the Middle East or something, uh, this picture comes from, but that's a real manger. And uh, that's what was in the stable. And of course, you'd expect to find a, a manger in the stable. You would not expect to find a manger in the living room. Hmm? But you would expect to find it in the, uh, in the stable. Now, the word manger comes from a French, manger. And what does that mean? Eat. Do eat. To eat. And it makes sense, right? It's the eating box. It's the manger box. It's the manger. And it was used for cattle. It wasn't used for people. But then Jesus was born. Think about that. The Savior of the world. God of very God. I mean, you think of Jehovah of the Old Testament. There he is. That's him. The Jesus of the New Testament is the Jehovah of the Old Testament. What an amazing, amazing thing that happened. And there was Mary and Joseph right there, the first ones to witness it. Of course, uh, in that same uh, country, we have uh, the shepherds in the field. And they're watching over their flock. And then suddenly... Boom! I got out of nowhere. This great light appeared. And uh, an angel came. Now, uh, we talked about this last week. You know, the angel coming and fear not. Well, boy, I tell you, if an angel suddenly uh, appeared to me tonight, you know, uh, I would mm, set my pulse racing, my heart would be beating, and the angel would have to say to me, Settle down. Don't fear. It's okay. And so the angel came, says, "Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings, of great joy, which shall be to all people." And here's the shepherds, just trying to take all this in. It's almost information overload, considering you know that their blood pressure is you know gone sky high and their pulses racing. And so the angel says, um, "Unto you is born this day." So on that very Same day, in the city of David, of course, everyone knew that to be Bethlehem. A Savior, which is Christ. That means Messiah. The Lord. means he's God. And this was the message uh, that they got. And not only that, the angel said, This shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. And there it is, lying in a what? A manger of all places. Nobody puts their baby in a manger. That's not where you put the baby. Imagine if you went over to someone's home. You know, they just had a baby. There was a home birth, okay? A home birth. And the, uh, the midwife had just left. And there you are, and you brought some gifts, you know. And uh, there's the proud daddy, and he ushers you in. Where's the baby? Uh, and he takes you into the kitchen and opens the oven. And there's the baby. You'd say, and he, or he would say, Don't worry, the heat's not on. Oh, no, no, we would never do that. But there's our little bundle of joy. Wow. Well, the angel told to the shepherds that this shall be a sign unto you. You're going to find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. Now, that was normal, common. They would wrap the baby up, but laying in a manger. Come on, there's got to be some, some hidden, deeper spiritual meaning to this one. Well, the deeper spiritual meaning was, he was in a manger. That's what it means. And so, that's what the angel said. You find this, this baby uh, wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger. So, the shepherds, they says, oh, this we got to see. Let's go. Let's go and see. And so, they came, they came, and they found Mary, they found Joseph, and they found the baby Jesus. There he was. Wouldn't you have liked to have been there that night? I sure would. If God had said to me, you want to go back? You want to go back in time? I can do that. I can put you back in time. You might have to dress up like a shepherd or something, but I wouldn't care. You might have to wear sandals. Doesn't matter, I go barefoot. But to be there and to see Baby Jesus, the Savior of the world, wow what a what a wonderful thing, huh? What a wonderful thing. You know, not many people had this opportunity. Not many people uh, got to see Baby Jesus. I'll tell you what, the um shepherds got to see baby Jesus. And some of the townspeople, I kind of think that the keeper of the inn and his wife probably go, Oh, let's go see the baby. But they may not have understood what they were looking at. And other people in town, Oh, yeah, there's a baby born. Oh, sure, let's go take a look. Oh, sweetheart. Oh, yeah, bundle of joy. Congratulations. And they would have turned and gone, not realizing what they've seen. But that's okay. Okay people today still don't realize who Jesus is. And I'll tell you what else. If you know Christ as your Savior, if you're born again, you are a child of God Almighty, the same God that spoke the world into being, you're his kid. You're his son or his daughter. But how many people in the world recognize that? They look at you. Yeah, you're just another. You know, you're the guy that lives down the street. You're the you're the the girl that works in the next cubicle at work, and they don't realize that what they're looking at is an actual son of God or a daughter of God Almighty. They don't realize that most people, when they looked upon Jesus, they just saw a baby. They didn't realize who this baby was. I hope we all realize who Jesus is tonight. I hope we all realize that. Very important. And so they, uh, they came and they found uh, Joseph and Mary and the, uh, the baby Jesus. Okay. Well, almost two years goes by. So Jesus is somewhere around how old? Around two. And um, wise men came from the east. And this is where the wise men show up. They'd been studying the heavens and the stars and everything and looking at ancient scriptures. And maybe God even gave them dreams in the night. You know, we don't know. But uh, these men, they realized something big was going down. A new king. And so they brought gifts. They may have had to get permission to make this journey. But uh, they said, boy, we've got to go see. And so, enter the wise men. They had seen this strange star almost two years before. They determined that it was a sign of a birth of a, a great king. And one day, the star started to move, and they decided to follow it. And they figured that it would lead them to the king of kings. And so here they are. And they follow this star. Where is it taking them? Where is it taking them? Do you know that uh, there are some people that think this was Halley's Comet? And I can't figure that. Halley's Comet. Doesn't that travel kind of fast? And so here, how do you keep up with a comet? I'm not sure. But um, they, they must have wondered, where is this star going? You know, they maybe, they even looked at each other and thought, are we doing the right thing? And so, uh, westward they went, and it came and it stopped over Jerusalem. And we have like a little artist's rendition of what Jerusalem may have looked like back then. So we have a little map here to give you some idea. Now, um, on this map, it's important that you realize they did not actually take this route because nobody traveled this way. To get from the east to the west, they would come up and down this way. That's how they traveled. That's how the roads were. Uh, Everything in here was inhospitable, like a desert. People die trying to get across there. So this is the trade route. This is how they would have come, up and over. And... um, Imagine that star, how that star had to, to move in order to lead them. I don't think it was Halley's Comet at all. I think that it was a supernatural star. Some people speculated maybe it was an angel appearing like a star. I, I have no problem with that. But anyhow, uh, it brought them to uh, Jerusalem. Now, we're going to take a closer look here. And uh, this is going to be a picture familiar to some of you. Um, there's Jerusalem with the top yellow dot. You can see the Dead Sea on the right. And the yellow dot beneath is Bethlehem. And that's uh, anywhere from 5 to 10 miles, somewhere in there. So it's not very far. But that's, that's, that's where they were going to end up. Now Jerusalem was a real pretty city, very beautiful. Um, Jerusalem had a beautiful temple an uh, artist's rendition there of what that may have looked like but Jerusalem was also the home of evil king Herod and all the people said boo <laughs> you don't boo do you <laughs> boo you know um oh, I won't tell you that I'm I'm bunny trailing a bit too much here and so um here he was, and he was a killer. He was—he killed family members, he killed sons, and he killed wives. This man was like insane, but uh, he was the uh, the ruler there uh, under under uh, Caesar. Uh, but that was his domain. And so, anyhow, they come and they ask Herod, "Where is he that is born King of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him." Now, something you need to know is one of the titles that Herod claimed to himself was King of the Jews. That was a title that Herod claimed to himself, and he was a jealous man. He was a crazy man. And so when he heard these words, oh boy, his blood started to boil. And so there we have him there sitting on his throne and, and uh, trying to... Um, um, you know, wonder to himself, hmm, he says, that child, he says, will never take my throne. I'll kill every baby in Bethlehem before I let him escape. And um, so, after consulting with the Jewish leaders, this is where he found out it was going to be in Bethlehem, Herod calls for the wise men again. He says, come on back in. He says, well, when did you first see this star? And of course, they would have told him, oh, about two years ago. About two years ago. You see, this is why Herod had this idea in mind that this new threat to his throne was about two years old. And so, being the politician, he says to them, Well, check out Bethlehem. And when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. And of course, you know, he's just a two-faced liar. And yeah, Herod wanted to worship Jesus. He wanted to worship him with a sword and cut off his head. And so, there's the star. It now guides them south to Bethlehem. That's a nice picture there, isn't it? And finally, the star stood still over the house where the young child was. Now that's got to be some star, I'll tell you. And maybe it was an angel, we don't know. When we get to heaven, we'll, we'll have the Lord tell us, okay? And the uh, wise men, with excitement and reverence, they get down off of their camels, they dismount and prepare their gifts. And here we have the wise men. Can you imagine how excited they must have been I mean, they'd been on a, a two-year journey. And here's the wise men, and there's that, that slogan underneath, that wise men still seek him. And if you're wise, you will seek the Lord Jesus every day of your life. You will seek him. So someone says, hey, wait a minute. What about you and me? Are we seeking for Jesus? So remember the words of the angel. I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. See that? No matter where you're born, where you come from, no matter what language you speak, Jesus is for all people. All of them. All human beings. The Lord Jesus is the Savior. He is the only way uh, to heaven and to have peace with God. It's through Jesus Christ. But we have another wait-a-minute moment here. Guy says, there's a problem. We got a little problem here. Here's our problem. Here we are on one side, and here's God on the other side. You see that? And we are the ones that have committed sin, and God is holy, holy, holy. And our choices of sin... Results in separation from God. Let's be very clear every human being has a sin problem. And it doesn't matter what country you come from, it doesn't matter what time in Earth's history you were born, you have a problem with sin. I have the same problem. For some people, the sin problem is grossly manifest. They're the most wicked, horrible people. Maybe you have someone like that living next door to you. Or maybe, you know, someone like that is your boss at work. Just, you know, horrible people. And there are horrible people in the world. There are really the Adolf Hitlers in the world. Uh, The Bible uses the term Antichrist. Antichrist can be used in two ways. One means it's against Christ. And the other means in place of Christ. And we've got them all over the world. We've got lots of them. But sin is also manifest in small ways. Because we do have some friends that are nice people. They're nice people. But they're not born again. They're not part of God's family. But they sure wouldn't take out a gun and kill someone. They're nice people. They have a sin problem too but it's more of a smaller sin problem. I'll tell you what, if I had a pin in one hand and I had a sword in the other hand, which one could pop a balloon? Which one? The answer is what? Both. It doesn't matter if your sin is the size of a pin or your sin is the size of a sword. The balloons popped. We all have a sin problem. Every one of us. And so what we try to do is we try and bridge this gap to get over to God somehow. And we have good works and religion and philosophy and morality, but nothing works. Nothing will take us to the other side. So what God did is he himself provided a solution. It's the only way and each person must make a choice. Christ bridges the gap between us and God. And so Jesus came into the world to die for the world on the cross. That's why he he came. He was buried, he rose again the 3rd day. He is alive. There are many world religions. But the founders are all still dead and in the grave. Jesus is alive. You say, well, how do we know? Well, I'll tell you, you know, the Jewish leaders were really the ones that pushed to have him killed. And the Jewish leaders went to Pilate and said, you know, that deceiver said that he would rise on the third day. Now help us to make that tomb secure. Otherwise, the disciples will come by night and steal his body and say that he rose, and then the end will be worse than the beginning. And so Pilate says, okay, away you go. And so they put armed guards and everything out front. And you know what happened. <laughs> armed guards aren't going to keep God Almighty you know, from rising from the grave. He rose. You see, if the Jewish leaders back then could have produced the body of Jesus... That would have ended it, right? All the disciples saying, He is risen, He is alive, He is risen. And then there's a murmur, uh, Make way, make way, make way. And the crowd parts, and there's the Jewish leaders uh, dragging the disfigured dead body, the corpse of Jesus. There's your Jesus right there. If they could have produced the body, it would have ended that very day. But they couldn't produce the body. Why? Why couldn't they produce the body? Because there was no body to produce. He rose from the grave. Hallelujah! And he was seen of many witnesses. Well, how do we know they were telling the truth? Now, I'm just parroting some of the crazy arguments that people use today. Well, listen, how many of you would give your life and die for Santa Claus? How many of you would become martyrs and burned at the stake for the sake of Santa Claus or the tooth fairy? Well, none of you would. You'd say, well, it's a nice story, but I'm not going to die for it. And yet men and women, even children, gave their lives as martyrs. They refused to recant. No, I have Jesus in my heart. I'm not going to say he's not real. He's alive. He's, He's in me. We'll put you to death. Then do it. All you can do is put me in the presence of Jesus. And many of them paid with their lives. They refused to throw a bit of incense on the fire in worship of uh, Caesar Augustus. They they refused to do that, and that made them an enemy of the state of Rome. And so they were put to death. Many were thrown to the lions. Some were were, uh, bound to a wooden stake. They'd pour tar or um, like a, a fuel oil over them, and they would light them up. And provide, provide light for, uh, for Nero's games down in the Colosseum. That kind of thing really did happen. So who's going to die for Santa Claus? But Jesus is real. And you know it. There's abundant proof. He was seen of above 500 people at one time. There's abundant proof that Jesus is alive. And so it comes down to a matter of decision. Where are you? On which side of the cross are you? Over on the people's side or over on God's side? The people, sin, rebellion, separation, God, peace, forgiveness, abundant life, eternal life. So let's review. In order for any person to go to heaven, a spiritual transaction must first take place. To wait until after death is too late. And I talked to a man a few years ago about this. And he said, uh, I I asked him, well, what's going to happen to you you know, after you die? And his words to me, now he was a businessman, and I was in his business trying to share Christ with him. He said to me, after I die, he says, that's when the negotiations begin. Imagine that. Well, I told him, no, sir, (laughs) there will be no negotiating. You have this life. I did my best. I don't think he ever did receive Jesus as Savior. I think he's passed away. But it has to happen in this life. You can't wait till after you die. It must happen now while you're still alive. And here's what needs to happen. Number one, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've broken God's laws. We've sinned. Number two, the wages of sin, the payment on that sin, is everlasting punishment. Number three, Christ came to die for our sins. What we owe in hell, he will pay. Jesus can forgive sins because Jesus is God. And number four, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We must repent and believe in Christ, receiving him as Lord and Savior. And either Jesus is in you, or he's not in you. Either you have repented, or you have not yet repented. It's one or the other. And by the way, Jesus doesn't jump in and out of you like a yo-yo. When you receive Christ, he comes to stay. He says, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. I love the words to this hymn, God sent his son. They call him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. He bled and died to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. Is Jesus your Savior? And I hope and pray that if he's not, you'll do that tonight. And open your heart. To Jesus. Lord Jesus, forgive my sins. Come into my heart. I need you. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. That's all it takes. Open your heart's door. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.